we're just so excited for what God is doing in Lake Haven, and I, I trust that your hearts are open because um, God is really doing something. You know, things are coming to coming coming into into play like we've seen and felt in our hearts for years and many many prophecies that were given and so on and um, but um, we're just excited to we, we, we just know that God's name is great and his name is to be made great and you know the water, he says in, that, that, the, that, that the goodness of God is going to cover the earth as the water covers the sea the knowledge of his goodness and God is good and it's exciting to tell the world that's a great message you know, there's, there's so much weird religion out there that doesn't have a good message about God. Not and, and, there's, and so it's no wonder that the world gets confused. It's no wonder that the world sees the church and sees weirdness and, and sees judgment and condemnation. But you know that Jesus didn't, wasn't like that. Remember, he's the exact representation of the Father, it tells us in Hebrews, right? And, and so, um, but you are, you're, each one of you, that, that's, you are going to be a good representation of Jesus in the world around you. Amen? You are that already. Amen. Amen. So, um, um, I just <clears throat> want to carry on with my series um, that I started last week, and I titled this Mythbusters. Is it a little loud to you? It, it's a little, it's a touch loud to, well, um, but in any case, it, I feel like I've got lots of volume. I better whisper. Like, okay, no, um, no I, it's the series is called, I, I titled it Mythbusters because for those of you who are guests who don't really know me and haven't heard me for very long, it's a topic that I don't speak on very often. I've, I've rarely spoken about the devil. I've really, I rarely speak even about end times and so on. I, I, I see because there are big topics that I feel are more important in the foundations and how we are because as we, we said, when you know the goodness of God, when you know God is love and, you, and we've worked through those many series about the kingdom and how to have victorious living and all of those powerful truths, um, you know, when you know who you are, the devil kind of disappears into the background. But it is necessary to be firmly founded on that foundation, but you have a clear understanding of our adversary, who he is, and what he is able to do, and what he can do, um, and so forth. And so this series is about the devil, and uh, essentially, and, and so we, we, there has been a lot of stuff that's out there, um, and, and so I want to you know, I don't like making it about him, um, and so I'm trying not to. So this is this is new to me um, in many ways because you know the, the more important things of God are just that they are far more important. M Micah six verse eight says, "I love the summary of of God." He says, uh, "He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice." Love kindness or love mercy, that's the word he said, loving kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You know, that is, that is the powerful truths of God's goodness, that we can just walk humbly with him, love his mercy, his chesed, and do justice. I just think that's powerful. So I, I pray that what you experience here is rest. I pray that you experience freedom. I pray that this series particularly will bring a liberty that you've not known before. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't want to rehash things that I said last week, um, but I talk about 
uh, beliefs, essentially, and how important we, it is, not just to, to talk about how, we, which I've spoken many, many times before, how important that our life flows for, out of our hearts, from our beliefs, we experience life. And so it is important what you establish in your heart. Um, but, but sometimes it is a contrary or counter-belief and unbelief that is working against your belief. Remember, so, so if you, you can believe, be believing the right thing about a certain topic, but if you have a belief that counters that belief, it's not like you have to believe that thing harder for it to work. What you have to do is to remove the count or the contrary belief for that belief just to flow effortlessly, as it, that's what the word grace in kind of means. It, it, it can be an effortless flow of believing in your heart. You see, because what happens is that any belief that you have, it doesn't matter what it is, if you've got contrary beliefs that fight against it, you will get frustrated and you will think, well, why isn't this working for me? I've got to believe, I've got to just believe, I've got to believe harder that God will provide. I've got to believe harder that this will happen. Where really, you just need to work with, with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and identify contrary beliefs. That is, I mean, that is a whole topic we could spend a whole series on, just removing contrary beliefs. But this is essentially what this series is doing. It's identifying and removing a bunch of myths, contrary beliefs that have been firmly established in our culture, in our religion, in our traditions that we've, we've just assumed. And, and some of you who may have been born again for many years or, and, and known the Lord, you will recognize some of the things that we're going to touch on. And, and so I just pray, in fact, close your eyes a second and just do this. Just, just put your hand on your heart and just say, Lord, I'm willing to hear truth. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to listen to truth in my heart. I'm willing to align my heart beliefs with truth. You know, it can hurt a little bit when we feel a little bit silly if we get some of these things that we touch on can sting a little bit. I, that is not my intention. If you find out that you've been doing something wrong or believing something wrong for a long time, don't, there's no condemnation. Aren't you happy that Jesus said the truth will set you free? When you know the truth, it'll make you free. So just abandon that whole track, <laughs> okay, and just embrace truth. And I'm, and I'm going to, if something is going to be contrary, please don't fight with me or argue with me and, and want to debate with me. Um, I, I, not that I'm not unwilling to do it. It's just that I, I need you to listen to me in context, Okay. Please hear me in context. We've, you, if you go through D group on our discipleship group, you've, you know the foundations on which we stand. We speak about the foundations of Hebrews 6. We don't depart from those foundations. So all of those things and in context with the series. Now, if we get to the end of the series and you still have issues, that's fine. Let's, let's talk about that, okay? And Corin will answer them or T will answer them all for you. <laughs> I can't say it's, it's <laughs> And, and like I said, I, I'll have to say this, you know, you know, Lake Haven is the easiest church to join. It's the easiest church to leave, and it's the easiest church to come back to again. So, and we see plenty of that. No, um, it's good. So, 
<laughs> um, no, but consistent theology, it's so important for us to have consistent theology. Um, it's the inconsistencies that paralyze us in growing in God. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we, it's not so important that we know all there is. How many of you think you could possibly know there is all there is to know? It, we, we can't know all there is on this side of heaven, all there is to know. But what we can do is, is make sure that our beliefs are consistent. And as disciples, remember, we use this word big a lot, a lot. As a disciple, a disciple wants to be like its master. He or she wants to become like his or her master. And a disciple should, being a disciple means that you are submitted to a Lord. There is lordship involved. And I know those are almost curse words in, in some senses because we say, oh, yeah, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? If we come to Jesus and we declare him and make him Lord and Savior, then obviously, by sheer definition of the process of being born again, you've decided what's what baptism is, dying to self. Remember, this is how you got born again. You symbolized, I'm not, it's not just a ritual in water. It's literally saying, I'm dying to myself, and I'm turning my back on the ways, and I'm embracing kingdom, embracing the ways of the Lord. I'm embracing his lordship in my life. And so uh, 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 that is, I mean, I've taught on this, and that is, that is the way of repentance. That is, you know, repentance is just simply the word metanoia, change your mind, metanoia. And, and so being willing to change your mind, that's the way that disciples function. And I'm glad you're all disciples, otherwise you wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> Anyhow. So um, I love this. You know, one thing that we must remember that kingdom invites you into an environment. It says this in Romans 14 and verse 17. Then you know this well. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, that is not a standalone definition. Of course, the kingdom has got a lot of things. Jesus' parables were mostly parables of the kingdom. In fact, he taught the gospel of the kingdom. And so, but, but that, I love that description. It's almost like that's the environment. You always, when you're walking in kingdom, that is the environment you're going to walk in. Righteousness, joy, and peace. I mean, so righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so it should be encouraging for you. Always remember that as you walk towards light, as you walk towards life, and all those good things. You walk, you're walking into the environment of God's character, which is love. So what's, what bad can there be? He's good. He is love. We're walking into light. We're walking into love, into righteousness, into peace, into joy. It's a good place to be. That's a great place to be. You can experience all of those things irrespective of who's president. Irrespective of what happens in America. Irrespective. Listen, guys, I've been there. I've been in war zones. I've been in countries which are, I, you can live in this. I'm not saying that we should believe God for that. I'm just telling you that this is not a, you know how many people, the Bible, I'm not going to go on that track. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I tell you what, we are called, the, people think that Christianity, this is, we're not playing church. We want to bring us, we want to be disciples and walk in this environment and infect the world with the gospel. 
with the, his goodness and these things because people are going to see why do you have so much joy why you experience peace in the midst of the darkness in the midst of the fear that they are paralyzed with you want to know why people it says men's hearts will fail them for fear in the end times right and it says why because they're terrified they're seeing this they 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 dancing to the tune of what's being what, what fear is being thrown at us from so many angles there is being fear preached to you daily from different angles. And if you listen to the news and you, if your eyes and your heart are more fixed on the news, guess what's going to dominate your life? You can't. I mean, it's your choice. You do realize that. You have that horrible, wonderful thing called free will. It's a wonderful thing. We can't have love without free will. Love can't exist without free will. But, but guess what? That means that God can't do stuff that you're supposed to do. Think on that one for a few months. God cannot do things that you're supposed to do. I know everybody thinks, oh, you can't say that. Well, of course God can't do things. That's why he made us. He gave us dominion of the earth. That's why God's willing, not, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If God had the ability to make everybody born again, he would. He can't because it's free will. He's given you a free will to be able to, which means that you have to die daily. Pick up your cross. That's what all those parables are about. You have to be willing to set that aside, to choose him, to choose life, to choose to walk in this way. So isn't that maddening? Don't you just wish you could blame God and say, oh God, won't you save sister so-and-so? Wouldn't that be nice if you could just pray and have God save me? I can just imagine Jesus looking at you and like saying, uh-huh. Wouldn't that be nice? What do, you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think he has to do? He, he sent us to take the gospel of the kingdom to the world. And sorry, I'm going to go way off on my topic if I go down that road. God can't. He can't save anybody. But you can pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. But guess what the laborers need to take? They need to take the gospel of the kingdom. They need to preach it. Romans 10 says that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call? Unless they first believe. How can they believe unless they first hear? How can they hear unless somebody preaches to them? And how can somebody preach to them unless they are sent? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So it's the power of the gospel of the kingdom. And that's... Sorry, you know that. That's in my found, our foundations grow course with T and Stacy. It's just powerful. But, but you see, the, the absolute truth, when it comes to absolute truths, they are absolute truths, and we've got to understand how to read the Bible to extract those fundamental truths. We are living in the new covenant. We are, it's a whole new covenant. God is the same yesterday, today, from from. He has never changed. His character has always been the same. The covenants on how he has dealt with man from the old to the new has changed. There are new covenants. So when we, when we, we've got to learn how to read the Bible. That's part of the discipleship process. Otherwise, you will get confused and you will have doctrines that will preach to you and taught to you uh, like I did Beliefs that you um, almost, what's the word, osmosis, almost by diffusion, you pick them up 
because they get told you and you haven't learned how to read the Bible passing it through certain filters. What is the absolute truth? What is the absolute truth about the devil? Satan. Where did he come from? Who is he? What power does he have? Because I can tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of belief. And when I was on doing crusade fields and, and was in certain parts of Zambia, mostly in Mozambique, and when I was in like deep, far away from civilization, man, the amount of possession and things that we would see was always kind of relative to that. And when we preached the gospel, you would see people manifesting. Not because we were casting our devils. They were manifesting with the light of the gospel was being turned on. So you would see it. People would manifest. And it was so interesting. If there were any believers in the area, it was interesting. Some of them would just all gather around and, ah, oh, they would, you know, beat the person with a stick. Or they would, you know, stand around them in a circle and sing worship songs. And they had all these ways of trying to, to deal with possession, you know, and, and oppression. You know, that now I could go very easily. I've got to be careful. You know the word possessed isn't in English. There isn't, an English. there isn't a Greek word for the word possessed. That's why if you go and study that word, and maybe I'll touch on it later, it's demonized. You go and look it up in all your concordance. It's not, it's not like the devil owns you. He can't. That's why the madman of Gadara, who had a legion of demons in him, still had the ability to run down and fall at Jesus' feet. He didn't run away from Jesus he, he had the ability to choose to come and fall at Jesus' feet, which he did. A thousand demons, a legion was at least a thousand, could not stop him from coming and falling at the feet of Jesus. Just a little tidbit for you along the way, you know. But so what is the absolute truth? You know, um, we have, we've built up, like I mentioned, traditions, superstitions, religious perversions, uh, and subjective experiences. Subjective experiences are some of the worst because we throw out the Word of God because, well, I didn't feel that, or I didn't experience that. And so you are going to say, well, I don't care what you say, God. This has been my interpretation of my experience. Let me put it that way. We all have interpretations of our experience. You have your own viewpoint, your own limited interpretation of your experience. But if you submit God's word, if you judge God's word and say, my experience is more important than the word of God, then you haven't learned about what faith is. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you must come to him and you must know that he is. And he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I, don't, I am willing to take you at your word. God cannot people cannot lie. <laughs> so when God says something, and you know, I'm going to pull out my toy. I haven't pulled this one out for a long time. I remember my, this one, my Hoberman sphere. To me, when God, God's word, his logos is consistent and whole. God is the word of God, but the, it, the, the word wo logos is is a beautiful word because it's, it's the logic, it's the intention, it's the motive. Everything about God in, in, is multidimensional. This is only three-dimensional. God is in who knows how many dimensions. I, I think I last read science has figured out there's a probably 11 or 12 dimensions. And who knows how many dimensions God exists in. But understand that logos, the logos of God cannot exist in a vacuum. Every piece of God, every, every aspect of God is linked to every other aspect of God. 
if you understand that God is love, which the Word of God tells us, He is love. Say, say that was just one paradigm, one perspective of Him. There's other perspectives that that is linked to. It's not, it doesn't stand alone. That's what, it's what makes it maddening when people take the Word of God and choose and pick and choose and cut this out and black that out. And, because you, you, defi- you, you, you deteriorate your understanding of God who is an unchangeable person, the Logos of God. So, so when we come to absolute truth, we have to, be able to, we have to be able to pass it through certain filters. And we have to say, okay, and you've heard me say many of these things before, but just rushing through them quickly. When, when, you, when you talk about the Logos of God, you've got to understand that the, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. From Genesis to Revelation, there are the revelations of God. Now, there's also historical perspectives which are historically recorded, accurately written down about what people said, that doesn't make it a revelation of God. It just means that this king did bad and this king said so-and-so or this friend said this person or this disciple said this. That doesn't make it right. You've got to see through those and say, who said what in what context about God? Is it consistent with the whole of the Logos, the whole revelation of God? Does that make sense? So you always filter everything in light of everything else. That's why it's important to read the Bible. I know there's a revelation. It's important to read the Bible. And when you, open the, when you open your Bibles, say, Lord, help me see, help me understand, right? So uh, just let the, because guess what? He is the shepherd. He will lead you. He will guide you into all truth, the Holy Spirit, all of those things. So, so the logos of God is consistent, right? It's consistent. And then um, uh, his names. The names of God are so powerful, right? Because every name of God describes a, per- a perspective. And a pers- God can never, will never be anything but as his names are described. And so that's a thing. Then, of course, um, going to Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So everything in Jesus, his life, how he acted with people, his teaching, Everything about Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, in these, you know, Hebrews 1 in times past, God has spoken to his prophets, but in these, he's revealed himself through his Son. And so you, you can only understand God by understanding him. Does it line up with what Jesus taught? If it doesn't, you're not seeing it right. If it doesn't line up with what Jesus taught, what Jesus, what, how Jesus lived, all of those things, his life, his de- then, of course, the finished work of the cross. Most important, that, pr- that all of those things. What did Jesus, and we teach you this in all the other series, what did Jesus accomplish by his death, burial, uh, his going to, to uh, being raised out of the grave, going to heaven? What, did, what was the finished work of the cross? You have to be able to pass through that to live in the New Testament. Okay, so that's another, that's another big one. Of course, we speak about the foundations of the faith, which we don't depart from, or those ones in Hebrews 6 that we speak about. There's this thing, um, well, I mean, I guess it relates to the Logos, that two or three witnesses, you don't, tra- you don't take a, an arbitrary or obscure scripture and fire it off and think, well, you see, this scripture says this, but you look at the body of evidence of everything about the character of God, the nature of God. There's 99 other scriptures that say this, but you've got a problem with this one scripture here. Or what we do so often in the church is we create a whole doctrine based on one little scripture. That is not smart, people. That's just simply not smart. Everything, especially doctrines, have to be established on the basis of two or three witnesses and consistent with God's character and nature and names and everything. Do you understand that? You see what I'm saying? 
It's important to understand that. Why? Because people are so desperate. There's so many teachers on TV and want to write a book, desperate to write a book so they can say, I'm a published author or whatever the case is. Nothing against that. But if your motive is because, is because you have a poor self-worth and you want to be acknowledged by people, there are people that are coming up with crazy revelations because they feel like that is going to put them on the map. I can't get noticed unless I give you something that has never been heard of before. See? See how awesome I am? See? See? <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so, you know, but it's, it's we, simple truth is powerful truth. The absolute truth is powerful truth. So, Okay, so I'm going to ask you, do, I st do you stand with your knowledge about the devil prior to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, or after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? I know that should be a simple question, because it says that Jesus came and, and won a battle, right? And then, uh, do, um, or, uh, do I stand, or how about this one, do I stand based on the finished work of Christ, or do I stand based on religious culture? So, so you see where I'm going with this. That means that, that you're gonna, you, you as a disciple have got to pull out your Bibles and check things out, right? Especially when it comes to it, because I'll tell you when, when <laughs> um, where was I? I was in, uh, there was this, um, another, another problem we can do is we extrapolate. That may be a, a good example of a kicking off place. On that, because we can extrapolate from scripture, we can make assumptions because I saw this and we saw this, so therefore we just take go off on a whole tangent and we extrapolate certain truth. Okay, so now I'm going to take you to one of the primary passages that talks about the devil in Ezekiel 28, and I'm going to read from verse uh, 12 Son of man. Raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and engravings. On that day, you were created, they were prepared. Okay, I'm going to stop there, right in verse 13. Now, I want you to go, um, if you can, flip over to the King James version of that, or a new King James. Either one will work, um, Darcy. <clears throat> can you do that? I, know, I don't know if it's easy to do that. King James. Okay. Um, okay, then, it's, so read that part. You've been in Eden, the garden of God, and then it goes on all these precious stones. And the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in there in the day that that was created. What? Tablets and pipes... Tablets and pipes, do you know that in, in about three different old translation, the word, they don't even know what the word tablet is. Some people say tablet is a tambourine. They have no idea what pi uh, the, the pipes were, except most translation will, will, will give a translation of the word as a, a, a jewel, a setting of jewels. So you could like go back to the ESV. It says like it's like these. It's talking about these jewels. So in context, many translators have used that one single scripture, and they've said, well, you know, um, you see settings and in your engravings in the ESV and in many other translations, Amplified, all of these others will use the word settings and engravings. But do you know from that arbitrary scripture, we've extrapolated a truth and taught for years that Satan 
was the worship leader in heaven. And that is the only extrapolation from those two obscure words. There is nothing in the Bible that says he was the worship leader in heaven. Tablets and pipes or engravings. There's actually more proof right there if you went there that, Jesus, that, that Satan was actually the jeweler of heaven. Then, and you would also be extrapolating to say that. But the hair was covered in all these precious stones. But you know, when I was a kid, you know how, how much stuff was preached about him being the worship leader? And about how bad it is, and you can't have drums, and you can't have this, and you can't have that. And if you have the wrong rhythm, then you're going to... All because there's been books and stuff written about him being the worship leader in heaven. Now, that may shock some of you. What are you going to believe? You're going to have to go and do some work. But my, but my favorite thing is, I've even taught that. I've written my own thing, that he was the worship. Well, go check it out. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a myth. But what has that created in you? What has that caused you to think? What has that caused you to think? So in any case, that's just verse 13. In verse 14, it says, You were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness or iniquity, I like the word iniquity, it's a powerful word when you study iniquity, until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the, sto the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and right unrighteousness of trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out of your mists and turned, uh, consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot here. It talks about him being the guardian cherub. Now, interesting thing is, there is, there is no other scripture other than this one, guardian cherub. It does actually, it, you know that the Bible literally calls Michael the archangel. Do you know that the word archangel, that says that they are archangels, but the only scriptures in, you can go and look at it in the Bible, the only scripture that says archangel in the same sentence as one of the big three, which we, we've always heard, or I used to hear, was Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. The, Michael is the only one that archangel is used. Gabriel talks him about a prince of the people being the prince of his people with Daniel when, when, he, was spoken, when he was spoken about being Daniel, when Gabriel was being a phrase. And of course, they talk about Gabriel and Michael in the book of Daniel. So... So I'm just saying that careful, be careful when you just make assumptions. Because there's this idea that, oh, well, he was this and he was, he was a guardian cherub that covered. That's it. Listen, <laughs> there's great wisdom in following. When you read the Bible, major on the majors and minor on the minors. If Jesus... How many sermons do you see in the New Testament about them teaching about the devil? Anybody? Yes, there's a, there are, but I'm not talking about this history. I'm just giving you, I'm just pointing out. Because this is, this is what ha has happened. Um, what is my time here? I just want to make sure I don't open up a can and suddenly I've... 
Okay, so here is what happens, is because we've not learned how to interpret the Word of God by the new covenant and through the new covenant, we have extrapolated a lot of doctrine like that, like him being the worship leader in heaven. There is nothing, again, that says that he was the worship leader in heaven. It's an extrapolation. So we, we have taken, for example, with spiritual warfare, now that's a big word, and we'll delve into different passages as we go along, so I can't give it all today, okay? You with me? Okay, yeah, you'll have to come back, get in context, and, you know, but as you, so when it comes to most of us, we start in Ephesians chapter 6, and we talk about the whole armor of God and powers and principalities and blah, blah, blah. blah. We, we kind of ignore that, so we just extrapolate key pieces of that passage. Um, and by the way, we have to ignore chapters 1 through 5 pretty extensively. So we just take Ephesians chapter 6, we take a little bit of Daniel um, back in the Old Testament, we ignore, Roman, we, we ignore what happened to, well, I mean, I'll, go there to, I'll go there later. So let's just say we take Ephesians chapter 6, we take Daniel chapter 10, and we take uh, a little bit of 2 Corinthians 10, and we shake those things up, and we come up with a doctrine that says, you've got to pull demons out of the air. And we call that spiritual warfare. The problem is, as I said, you have to ignore Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 that tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead. And let's go. Oh, Jesus, this is going to be fun. Yeah, where did I put Ephesians chapter 1? Why did I really move it down? Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, we go. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we, we, tilt, we taught so much. This is such a powerful scripture. Um, in verse 17, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your hearts enlightened may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and, the, and uh, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us believe, according to the work of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and put some things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. All things. Paste all things under his church. I, I'm sorry, put all things under his feet and gave him as the head of the, of the church. You see, when we, we've, we've, we've made, I don't know, especially in the 80s, if you guys were around in the 80s, man, I guess you could remember some of those teachings that were at. There were some things, well, it's, it was, you better pray an hour, and you've got to pray at least an hour, and you, you know, you better learn how to put on your armor, and you've got to do this. And, and then, of course, they spent, I don't know, copious amounts of money in flying around high, get above Get high, uh, get high up there so that they could pull down the strongholds. Now, that kind of petered off. That fortunately, it hasn't been done. But that kind of warfare is that we've got to pull things down out of the sky. Now, if you let me, I will be happy to go through all of those scriptures and expound a little bit. Because that's not what it talks about. And you will see very clearly as we break all of those things down. You see, you know, Ephesians chapter 1, which comes, and 2, which says, and let me go into chapter 2 over here. It says, um, because if you, again, your ears are bent 
if your heart has been bent, do you pick out only the words you want to? And then so in, if, in verse 1, it says, you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this word, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. I'm going to drop down to verse 6 just for the, the saver. Uh, and it says, um, verse 5 says, by grace you were saved. And he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. You and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have spoken extensively about the in Him realities. That Christ is in us and He is, he, he is in us and we are in Him. There's an indivisible union. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Right? All those powerful things that are truths. It says, Christ in you in, in Colossians 1, 27, uh, 26 and 27. So, uh, there, but you see, you see the word, He's the prince of the power of the air. Uh, there's so many things. I, I, I want to be careful not to try and major on the little things here. So be, be patient with me. But that word is not heavenlies. It's not oranos in, in, Hebrew, in, in Greek. It's not talking about the heavens. It's not they are up, up there. It's talking about air, literally the closest stuff to the ground. Apparently, the Greeks used to define the difference between the heavenlies and the air by there was a place on the mountain that they could point down and say, the air, the prince of this realm this air. And it's got nothing to do with being in the sky. And so, you see, so again, extrapolations happen because you go, oh, well, this is what the Bible, you, you know, and, and you say, okay, well, hold on a second. How many times do you see Jesus pulling out demons out of the air? Any? How about any of the apostles, disciples, anything in the book of Acts? How about when Paul goes into the city of Athens, fooled with all these gods, does he do spiritual warfare or does he just preach the gospel you see but we get taught and we get led down the line so uh, guys it's, i know it's quiet so. <laughs> yeah anyhow okay i am i'm gonna go ahead thanks david yeah you see you see it's very important that that we we understand you, you know we I, we are going to talk about spiritual warfare. We are going to talk. He is an adversary. Let me just relax those people who desperately want an enemy. He is an enemy. Okay. He, he is an enemy. We've got to be aware of his devices. Amen. But guess what? Jesus said in Luke 10 that I have given you power over all the power of the enemy. Okay. So we've got to be able to read this in context. So as I said, in, you know, when, when um, even Daniel, in Daniel 10, when, it, when an angel, by the way, it wasn't Michael who came to him. If you go and study it out in J Daniel chapter 10, it was an angel that was sent to answer Daniel. And he, the angel says, listen, I was held up for a while, and then Michael came to help me. So, so, so we see this, this thing. But, but I want you to notice, what did Daniel do? What was Daniel's part in all of that? Nothing. It says, it says, from the moment you set your heart, the angel tells Daniel, from the moment you set your heart on me. Daniel wasn't doing spiritual warfare. Plus, plus, this, was this before the cross or after? So two of you know. Daniel, Dan, it, it was long before the cross. In fact, it was a prophecy about 
1,290 days or something or weeks to come that was coming. To, so you've got to understand, this was before the cross. There was cert certain things that happened before the cross. Another favorite thing that I've got to just blitz while we're talking about it is, you see, we take a little bit of Job. Ooh, I said the Job word. I said the J word. <laughs> you take a little bit of Job and, you, and we think, oh, you see, you know, Satan had access to heaven. Do you know that? Do you know that he had access to heaven? Do you know that he does not have access to heaven any longer? That he was cast, and there's multiple passages that we can go and look at. Multiple passages that talk about him being thrown out and defeated. Michael war takes his angels, wars against, casts him out, and he's thrown to the earth. Amen. Satan, which by the way, his name means, anybody? Accuser. He means accuser of the brethren. He is no longer accusing you in front of the throne of God. That incident that, you, that we want to go and pick out of Job cannot happen anymore in the New Testament if you understand that Jesus did feet. And, and what did Jesus say in Matthew 11? He says, I've given you power over what? Well, then he said, all authority. Sorry, that's the one I was going to say. All authority has been given to me. Right. Not some. Right. Therefore, go. Yeah. Right? So do we need to go to Revelations 12? Let's go to Revelations 12 for a little bit. Revelations 12 is an interesting chapter in, 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 um, in the book of Revelation. You know, Revelation, I, I love the book of Revelation. I rarely teach on it because with our linear westernized minds, we think everything has got to be linear, and it, it is not a linear book. There's some phenomenal things in the letters that we can hopefully teach one day about, the, about Jesus. Jesus wrote letters from heaven for us. That's powerful. You can extract so much wonderful truth from Jesus' letters to the church. After he was raised from the dead, he sent letters to us. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's how you should read the seven letters in any case. So, but in Revelations chapter 12, there's like the synopsis of human history. And, it's, and it goes through, and it's, and it's easy to pick out. So, um, and in Revelations 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head had seven diadems. His tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she brought to her child... When she bore, sorry, her child, he might, might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Who do you think that is? Anybody? Yeah, I know you're dead scared of saying something now. It's like, it's like his throne. Yes, it's Jesus. Don't worry. Yeah. He's, he, is, he was going to rule with a rod of iron. In fact, you see that later on in Revelations 19. It talks about him ruling with a rod of iron. And you just see how awesome he is. One faithful and true sitting on his thing. And he's going to make war. And he's going to, yeah, man, isn't that good to know we win? Yeah. Man, we're going to have such an awesome time in heaven. So anyhow, um, this, so, yeah, but the rod of iron, is, it's talking about Jesus. So it says that, um, uh, where am I here? But the child was caught up to, to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was a place prepared by God. Then it goes on, it talks about this I, again for the lake. Then it says, here in verse 7, A war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but was defeated. 
Can you say the word defeated? There was no longer any place for them in heaven. No longer any place in heaven. No longer any place in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. Deceiver. You're going to see that. You're going to, we're going to see very clearly that that is his power today. He is A and V deceiver. He is the father of all lies. His power is in deception. And so the only thing to have victory over him is to remove the deception. To remove the lies, right? So he's a deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to earth. And it says his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a voice, from he- voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Praise God. Who accuses them day and night before God. You see, not there anymore. The accuser is gone. And they have conquered him. By what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Because they love not their lives unto death. There's that discipleship thing. I know we like to normally just say the first two, conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Four. And by the word of the testimony. Four, they love not their lives unto death. You see, the Bible actually tells us in, I think it's in Hebrews 2, actually. Um, I didn't have that scripture prepared, but in Hebrews 2, it actually, it says that we people are held, we are held captive by our fear of death. If you fear death, you haven't been set free yet. Death, the fear, fear is going to dominate you and is going, to put a, is going to put a brick in your road and you are not going to get where you need to go. You need to and you've been given the ability to get free from death. Free from, sorry, the fear of death. You should be able to and can live in a place where no longer are you experiencing the fear of death. And so when we are disciples, we are willing to like, hey, listen, man, I, don't you admire those, th- those three Hebrew boys back in Daniel? Those kids, man, I don't know how old they were, teens probably. Man, they were like, we are not bowing down, even if you throw us into this blazing hot furnace. I mean, I can't imagine. That is some gutsy decision, right? But, but guys, we're reaching a place that your faith will be tested, so you've got to choose now where you're going to stand. Are you going to play church? Because there is going to be a great falling away. There is. The Bible talks about it in the Revelation. We can get to that some other time. But there will be a great falling away. You know why? Because all the churchianity people don't want to stick around when there's persecution. All the people that just want to look the po- You know that you can't get saved by sitting in church. Church doesn't save you. Jesus is the Savior, and you've got to go to Him. He is the one that you've got to put your faith in. There is no other, other name under heaven by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Jesus is the finished one. He is the one that paid the penalty, that paid the price. It's coming to Him by grace through faith alone that is going to save us. Sitting in church, even in this wonderful church, which we like, you won't get you saved. I know that's all popular, but anyhow. But it says, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, for they loved not their lives to death. You know, there's, there's those many scriptures, and I just don't want to go there right now, but they talk about, again, if you are not willing 
to lay down your life, take up your cross. If you're not willing to do those things, then you're not worthy of me, Jesus said. Ouch. But I thought you said Jesus is a nice guy. He is. He's a super nice guy, but you have to be prepared to turn your back on the darkness. He has delivered us, it says in Colossians, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. He is the one that's done that, right? So you have got to be, as you turn your, as, as you turn your back on the dominion of darkness, you can be brought into the light, into the kingdom of his dear son. And guess what? That kingdom means kingdom. <laughs> means you have a king. I mean, I, I, guys, I, I'm sorry. It means that you have a king. You, it means that you have a lord. That means that you, you, you follow what he says. Now, I'm not saying you have righteousness by your actions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there is a willingness to submit to the lordship of what he says is and does. Okay? So here we see, again, that this is in the synopsis of the story. And I'll, I'll try and wrap it up because I know I'm touching on, on stuff that you want to go and study out or whatever, but it's just like in, in, in this, this, this experience, we've got to really be careful to discern how to read the Word of God and pass it through what the finished work of the cross is. Go and look at what Jesus did, how Jesus acted, how He spoke, because I tell you, religious tradition sneaks in to all of us, but powerful truth is God has set us free. Again, Romans, I mean, uh, John 8, 31 and 32, he says, those who abide in his word, that means to live, dwell, live in it. If you guys get into the word of God, if you make the word of God your home, it says then you're going to be able to believe the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's only one path to this freedom, into this joy, into this peace that knows no bounds. And that is living in the kingdom. But it's going to, as you've heard me say before, it costs you, are you willing, question, to abandon your religious traditions? Let's close our eyes there. Question, are you, are you willing to abandon your religious traditions? Are you willing, as you said in the beginning, to, Lord, I want to know truth. I'm willing to let go of any traditions of any personal experiences and I'm willing to submit them to the knowledge of you to your view and opinion to the knowledge of your truth because I desire truth Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life there is no other revelation of God outside of Jesus his truth I know that's a big, that's a simple decision for some, and it may be a harder decision for others. But it's simple. Just, you don't even have to pray that out loud, but just saying that, Lord, I, I choose your way. I choose to know. Thank you for guiding me, Holy Spirit, because you lead me into, into all truth. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful and true. We thank you that you are love, that you're a revelation of such goodness, that the work has been done and finished.
Father, we choose to draw near to you, Lord. You know, just choosing, when I mentioned the word disciple, I just felt in my heart that some of you may just want to recommit that peace and just say, Lord, you know, I choose the path of being a disciple. I choose to submit my life to your lordship. I choose to live in this kingdom because you are good. And so I declare freedom to you. If that's your choice, I speak freedom to you. Liberty to you in the name of Jesus. Mm, Thank you, Lord Jesus. I can tell you, and I'd like you to give testimonies to us over this period of time, but as you embrace light and truth, you will experience freedom, and some of you will experience physical healings. Without even asking God, you're going to see physical pain disappear from your body. Things that you have not, the things that you may have had for a long time will disappear from your body because all you're doing is you're walking towards the light and walking away from other things. And that is always what happens with God. If that does happen to you in the course of this, please let us know. We'll share it with everybody. We'll get a video, whatever. But we, we want to give glory to God when that happens, okay? So, but, I'm, but the decision is still yours. You, you are faced, and I know you are faced with protecting tradition or embracing truth. And so I speak grace. There's only grace for the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, to the humble. And you will see that that process, when we talk about that maybe next week, that is how we resist the devil in the best possible way. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Pastor Shannon mentioned about embracing truth. And, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's so important that we extend the opportunity uh, to embrace the truth, Jesus. And um, who came, who made the choice to come here, live a life as a man, to show us how to live that life, to die, not only to die, but to be raised, not only to be raised, but to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to make intercession for us. He's our go-between. But if you don't know Jesus, you have that opportunity now. And we always want to extend that. So with that being said, Jesus, we know hallelujah, that you defeated Satan, and the focus is not on him, and the focus is what you've already done. You choose, you chose to become a savior, a deliverer. You chose to give your life so that we can have eternal life, and, and have that and experience it right here on earth, but if we don't know you, we don't experience it. So maybe there's someone here today, it's like, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. I've resisted him. And as Pastor Shannon mentioned, it's simple 
It's accepting as Romans 10 talks about him as Lord, confessing him as Lord. So we can say that together as a family for those that may be here or watching online, no matter where you're at. Jesus, we can say it together. Jesus, I confess you as Lord according to what your word says. Come into my life. Be my savior. I receive you as my savior. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for life eternal now. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're here now or if you're watching online, you can text the word prayer. But if you're here, even if it's not for salvation, which is super important, that's the biggest decision you can make. But if you desire prayer, don't walk out the door. Come up here uh, and let our prayer ministers pray with you and for you. And if you accepted Jesus as Lord, it's super important. We have some material we would like to give you. And um, just be a blessing to you, y'all. This, this, this journey is light. It's meant to be light. It's meant to be light. Hallelujah. That's the way Jesus designed it. Amen. So we can choose to walk in the likeness of this that he provided. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you, are you, are you good? Yeah. I know you're good. Yes, amen. Healing you at 5 o'clock today, it's, it's, it's a tremendous blessing. I did want to mention um, um, uh, before we, I didn't say this to Ms. Karn, so our youth, we're, we're excited about the youth camp. We're getting ready to go on in June, and uh, we will be passing out sponsorship packets to the youth that's already registered. So a lot of you have been asking about that, and so we thank you in advance for supporting our youth. Uh, there's a lot of them are stepping outside of the box to, to approach not just you, but their neighbors, their teachers, their family in reference to uh, sponsorship. And not every year, every youth that desires to go and, and do what Pastor T and Ms. Stacy tells them to do, they go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, some of y'all want to get rid of some of your kids for a few days anyway. <laughs> Amen. We were glad when our kids went to camp. Praise the Lord. You can go ahead and stand up. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. And listen, this is an amazing camp, too. Um, uh, it, it's so, so much that takes place. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And we'll be talking to you more about that in the future and in reference to the bus. And it's, it's just a great time. Praise God. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for us as your children. We're going out victorious. We never leave your presence. But we leave this building. But we leave not just this building, but we leave anything that's contrary to you and your word. We leave that here right now. We choose to make that decision and walk in the victory and freedom that you've already given us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Get on with your blessed self.